Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today, we're talking to Jamila Jamil. That's our quitter today. Yes. You may know her from four years on The Good Place. She's a fantastically outspoken feminist, personist. She almost has to, like, hold your attention to what she's saying. You know what I mean? She has to, like, keep you, like, locked into the words or else you become mesmerized and can't hear her. Man, we had a great chat. So here she is, Jamila Jamil. How are you doing? Hi, I'm Julie. Hi, nice it's so to good meet to you. you. I'm Chad Hi. Jamila. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for coming. We are so honored and excited because we know you speak your mind. <laughs> and oh, it's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I, that's exactly what I want to find out about. You talk about everything. You talk about eating disorders, suicide attempts, illnesses. You talk about everything. Does it ever? Is there ever a point when you're like, oh, fuck? Hmm. Oh, I th- I th- I'd I say constantly. Up? I'd say constantly. Uh, <laughs> that's how I feel. Um, I get a lot of pushback, and I think that's partially because we're not accustomed, really. You know, it's really been since Me Too that we've had women speak out and start to tell the truth about their experiences. And I think we still find it very jarring, and we don't really know what to do with it when a woman is just being open and when a woman is being fallible and openly fallible. We don't like women who make mistakes and we don't like women who make mistakes and then stick around. We want them to fuck off and lock themselves in a closet, you know, somewhere until they can repent for their sins. And by the time they come out, they might look older. So therefore we mustn't see them because we cannot see oh, a woman, no, no, no. you know, who looks older. No. Um, no, God no, forbid no. she gained any weight in that closet. Uh, oh, God, so no. I think that, um, I think people just sort of don't really know what to do with me because I operate without shame. And, and so it just is what it is. And, and I think we need fuck up representation in this world. You know, we can't have representation of everyone out here being perfect, looking perfect, saying the perfect thing. It's not good for anyone. It's not good for the people who have to maintain those standards. And it's not good for people who read about those people or watch those people. That's how it... it Oh God, sorry, that's my ring app. One second, I'm putting oh, my phone on. Heavens! Um, but it, um, it, uh, that's probably the patriarchy coming to pull me away for even saying any of this. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's not good for us to see it. It wasn't good for me as a kid to see all these perfect people who never made any mistakes. 
because uh, you know like in in mathematics class like you wouldn't get all the points if you didn't show your workings out as to how you've arrived to that mm-hmm. logical conclusion i believe in that as a as a role model or as a public figure is that you've got to show your workings out you've got to show people the all of not everything but but more parts of yourself, I think, so that people know it's okay to fail, it's okay to make mistakes, it's okay to have struggled with your mental health, it's okay to have struggled with your uh, trauma. I want people to feel less alone than I did looking up to all of these like perfect mannequins that I had as my representation of what a quote-unquote woman should be is my very long answer. So eventually we're going to ask you about something that you've quit and we're going to sort of try to explore it and learn the story of it and like what Mm -hmm. we can all take away from it. But I, my first, just literally in those first three minutes, my takeaway is, you know, your voice is so strong and your point of view is so, so much yours. And I first saw you as an actor Mm -hmm. and I wonder how is it difficult for you to be a vessel of someone else's point of view and someone else's voice when your own um, is so is so much your own, when your own is so singular? No, I think that's just the fundamental basis of acting. I think all the people who, you know, I'm, I'm sure that poor guy who had to play Jeffrey Dahmer, um, you know, <laughs> struggled. Uh, poor old Evan. <laughs> but, um, but no, I, uh, I, d- I don't feel that way. I, you know, as, as far as I see it, it's just, it's entertainment and, and I'm here to be a clown. I choose comedy roles. I choose like very extra and ridiculous comedy roles because... I enjoy embodying someone else. I particularly uh, go out of my way to play women who misbehave, who break the status quo, who um, who are unlikable and who yeah. are rebellious in some way and who are chafing. I like to play chafing women, women who just chafe other people because I think that it's exciting to have the liberty and freedom to be so unlikable. I think that women aren't told that that's something that we're allowed to do, and we are. But you're doing a Marvel movie, right? I just finished a Marvel series uh, where I played the supervillain. Okay, so you got to use some of the comedy. You got to send that idea up some? Or were you really just a villain? No, 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 no. I'm a pure, <laughs> pure clown, clown villain. Like okay. totally, totally ridiculous. I, I tend to stay away from from most roles where I can't be a complete, you know, um, loser or clown, because that's where I think I, I feel the most safe and comfortable. <laughs> so, in the interest of showing your maths, showing your workings out, mm-hmm. I love that. That's a very British expression. Mm-hmm. You had a long. You had a story to get to the person that is not afraid to be exactly who she is. Come on in the first three minutes of meeting strangers, but of course, strangers who love you. Speaking your mind, sending yourself up. You have shown your work, but if we could just review it a little bit. Mm -hmm. You grew up um, admiring and uh, to an unhealthy degree these women that you saw in the media. So led well, yeah, you an eating they disorder. were. I, yeah, I would say a combination of things led to my eating disorder. But just thinking that, like you know, we were so bombarded in the '90s with images and mm. stories about it was. It was really the like meteoric rise of celebrities and feeling like you had some sort of access yes. to celebrities. And so, you know, it's, I think it was that was the era where religion truly died in the West, and yes. we we had this void of something to worship, and it turned mm. into celebrities. 
And that's yeah. when the paparazzi culture rose. It's when tabloid culture rose. And so we were just, as, you know, especially as young girls, like bombarded with that. And so you, what you start to think is that they are your role models and that's what a normal woman is supposed to be. And if you are not like them, that's the whole purpose of the advertising around them and the airbrushing and everything is like, this is what you're supposed to be. These are your icons. These are your, um, this is what you're supposed to aspire towards. And if you fail, if you fall short of that, then you need to go out and buy all these products to help you get closer to what that is. And you need to change yourself and you need to morph yourself and starve yourself and never age and all these different things. And so, you know, I bought into that because I was a child. Did anyone, um, like, observe you buying into that? Did anyone around you, is there anything to stop that for a kid? No, no. And I mean, it was hard then because at least, you know, but at least I had to go out and spend like $4, you know, four pounds on, yeah. uh, on, on finding that toxicity and reading and taking in those terrible images and watching, you know, I'd have mm. to seek out those films and those TV shows. Whereas now I can't imagine how you would escape it because it finds you, it hunts you as an algorithm. The second you put your age and your gender into a social media platform, mm-hmm. when you join, you are instantly put into, you are without your consent, put into a targeting line for ads and content and things that are going to make you feel bad about yourself so that you're, because unhappy people are more likely to buy shit. As soon as I, like, I, I can always tell when I'm quite a detached person and I can't always tell how I'm feeling, but my habits and my behaviors are how I can see what's really going on inside. And when I start buying nonsense online, it suddenly mm. becomes aware, like, I suddenly become aware, like, oh, I'm not okay. I'm trying to fill a void. And that is how Mm. human beings work. Incredibly happy, content people who feel good about themselves, who have high self-esteem, are less likely to constantly acquire. It's it's just a known behavioral pattern and and we're preyed upon. And that's why women, you know, we make up 80% of the consumer market still, I believe. And that's why we are the ones most targeted to feel like shit about every single part of ourselves so that we will go out and buy and continue to grow the market. Why don't you know what you feel most of the time? Uh, I don't know. I'm still figuring that out. Uh, um, but I'm, you know, I'm just a detached person. I've been through a lot. Maybe it's that. But uh, I'm just someone who's not terribly emotional. And thank God, because I don't think I, I would find it so easy to do what I do in the social justice space if I did take things personally. But I really don't. And so that's, it's, it's kind of like a superpower, you know, when you're doing this. But that is the kind of superpower that is directly, sort of diametrically opposed to somebody who is um, who is a young woman with an eating disorder. Having been a young woman with an eating disorder, now I'm old and don't have one. In my experience, I was nothing but feeling. And I wanted to stop the constant feeling, the feeling of less than, the feeling of shame, the feeling of I needed to be different, mm-hmm. the feeling of um, depression and anxiety. So... There has to be, you have to have gone through a fairly major transformation to get to a person that goes, I'm detached from that. Are you aware of that transformation? No, I think there's just too many nuances like regarding eating disorders. Some people do it because they want to feel a sense of control. Like some people do it because Mm -hmm. they want to feel something at all. I think I did it because Uh. I wanted to assimilate. I think my reason for wanting to look a certain way was because I thought I would be, you know, there's a tribal fear of like, if I am different, if I am other, I will be abandoned. 
And, you know, like we have, our brains just haven't updated in the last like 2,000 years. We, you know, especially given like how much technology has advanced versus how slowly yeah. we have advanced. Like we still think that we are at any moment in danger of the saber-toothed tiger. We see some negative tweets about yeah. ourselves or we get some horrible text messages at school. And we th- we feel mm. the same feeling of when you are isolated yeah. in the middle of a field with a fucking like predatory feline animal you know I was already like an odd kid um I've always been odd uh and I've had odd you know behavior I've I've never like um, been very good with social cues uh receiving or giving and and I also came from like a very poor background but I got a scholarship into a really really like uh, rich school full of kids whose like parents owned things like Del Monte you know, like, and, oh. and it, it was a ridiculous, like, level of wealth that I was around. And I was Pakistani in a time where it was, like, and Indian, like, in a time where it was not cool to be uh, either in the United Kingdom. It was a super racist time, super Islamophobic. And that was pre-9-11 when it got worse. So it's just, like, there was so much. Wow. I was 15 when that happened. And so, like, I just watched it, like, kick up, like, 12 notches. So the the thing that I wanted was just to stop standing out. And yeah. we didn't have a lot of South Asian representation in media, so I didn't think that was something I was supposed to do. I thought there was a reason we were erased because we should be hidden. I had huge shame around where I came from, and I wanted to distance myself from my culture as much as possible as a kid. So I think I just wanted to assimilate. I wanted to be accepted, and I thought, well, at least if I'm skinny, you know, if, or if I can almost make myself invisible, you know, but also at least if I'm skinny, then they might accept me. And, you know, they didn't <laughs> anyway, so it was for nothing. Did you change other things about your appearance to try to assimilate at that time? Did you dye your hair or change the way you dressed or? No, I haven't changed my hair in 35 years, which is really insane. (laughs) (laughs) That's why it's so thick and beautiful. It's the Jennifer Aniston school of hair. Um, But I, (laughs) uh, but yeah, I, um, no, I didn't change anything else. I was just trying to, I just, uh, I think I tried to change my behaviors constantly to try to become less annoying or less grating for other people. But, you know, again, I think inauthenticity uh, rings, I don't know, it it comes through and so you still end up making people uncomfortable. So, you know, I wasn't terribly popular uh, until I was about 19. I didn't really have like a lot of friends, you know. And so, but no, it wasn't about around my appearance, but I did try and change myself quite a lot. And then when did that turn? Um, it's been a sort of slow undressing, really. It's been a, a slow quit, a quiet oh. quit, you know, <laughs> of trying to please other people. I think a bunch of health scares and a bunch of nervous breakdowns. I think probably my big nervous breakdown when I tried to kill myself when I was 26 was probably like the big final crash where I was like, if I keep going like this, if I keep wearing all these masks, if I keep living for oh. other people and not for myself then I'm, I'm just not going to be here very, like, very much longer because it was the second time I'd attempted and I just knew I would try again. So I started this sort of experiment at 26 to save my own life, to think, what if I just said exactly what I thought all the fucking time? What so if what, I just told so everyone to, to fuck that, off? So prior to that, you were not speaking your truth all the no, time? Prior no, no, not that, all the time. Were, no, I okay. was just sort of slowly dipping like my toe in the waters of honesty. But, you know, like there was so much pressure and I'd become famous at 22 and so then the pressure, and in England, like there's so few people there that when you're famous, like you exist in a like a fishbowl, you know, it's just that there's no privacy anywhere and there's a media obsession frenzy around you. And so 
I didn't have space. You know, I was in my 20s, but I didn't have space to become who I was going to be. I was just so bombarded with what everyone else expected me to be. And you have to kind of hold these multitudes of what all these different millions of strangers want you to be all at the same time. And it just broke my brain. So at 26, I I had a nervous breakdown. I really went completely fucking mad, uh, like properly, properly mad. Like didn't brush my teeth for like four months mad. Um, and uh, <laughs> Your like, teeth look really good. Big, really, big really healthy. to my dentist, honestly. He brought me back from the brink. But um, Shit. you know when you just sort of like lose the will to live and so you're just sort of like, why would I do it? Like I'm not going to be here why, much longer. Well, yeah, why, why would, would I, you? Yeah, why would I bathe? Um and so it got very Saddam Hussein at the end vibes. You know what I mean? Like in a cave with a Mars bar. In the spider hole. So yeah. so if to say it back to you to make sure I'm tra- like tracking. So it's you were young and to survive, you were trying to be somebody else basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you- Every, like anyone else and everyone else. I would become whoever I was in front of. You know, like a, for, a chameleon. For, for survival, yeah. Yeah, and then, for, for what I thought was survival, you know. Like and then that what? literally almost killed you, that thing that you were doing to survive. Yeah. That's and so, irony. Yeah. That sucks. I know. And so, but I mean, that's just it. It's like so many of the things that we've been taught will make us happy, don't make us happy. I was also rich and I was thin and I was as thin as I wanted to be and I was a popular um, externally. And like I had loads of great friends and I had, and actually that was probably the one thing that helped me survive. But like I had fame. I was an it girl. Hmm. I wore all the best designer clothes. I was front row at fashion week. Like I had all the shit that I was told would make me happy. And I've never been more devastated as a person. I've never felt more empty or alone. I didn't get to spend time with my amazing friends because I was always fucking out doing bollocks, celebrity bullshit. Like I I just, none of it, none of it brought me happiness. Like pleasing everyone didn't make me happy. Swallowing shit and being the girl that didn't create any disruption didn't make me happy. I was just, you know, they say that depression is repressed rage sometimes. And I think that's what was happening to me. I was just so repressed. And when you're repressed, you're lying. You're lying to other people and you're lying to yourself because you're not getting everything off your chest. You're not telling people how you really feel. And it creates this sort of distance between you and the version that everyone else gets. There's this sort of like empty moat between who you really are and who you present to the world. And therein lies the emptiness that I found to be my depression. So this when you were at that podcast? last, sorry, <laughs> no, this is amazing. You're, you're amazing. There's so many. There, I mean, there's so many quits. I would, in here. I would do everyone like this if we could. If we could, <laughs> I would honest. too. I this is your just. It, I was thinking earlier today. I hope that. Um, I know. I knew I know it was you, you but I, I didn't, that I didn't have any media training. Well, you know, I literally yes. was thinking like, I hope that this person isn't chipper. No, it's unbearable. I can't stand. I can't stand small talk. I mean, I was going to go linearly and, and like start with the car accident, but fuck it. You went right oh, to the suicide the car accident. attempt. Yeah. <laughs> Since so right to the suicide attempt, may I ask, uh, do you think it's dangerous uh, personally to talk about the details of it? If so, yeah. you can stay away from me. It's yeah, safe. Yeah. Important okay. not to Wonderful. do that. Wonderful. Thank yeah. you. Important uh, not to do that. I thank you. How did you know that as a question to ask, Jolie? I'm just curious. Is I that just a thing? I've read a lot. I've read a lot. Yeah. It's, it just, it depends. It depends. There's some... It's not that... I don't believe that suicide is contagious. It's a bit like anorexia culture, right? Like, it's yes. like you're not supposed and to it, say all the things that you did to become right, insanely right. thin, all the ways that you risked your life because exactly. unfortunately the wrong the right. wrong ears... You fed, it gets fetishized. Yeah. Yeah. It gets okay. fetishized. The wrong so, ears might try it. Just walk, so. Yes. So just walk all me right. through how you were... 
how where your brain was. You obviously you were miserable. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I wasn't but, actually miserable. Said, I was actually I was actually oh. uh, completely detached. I was completely detached, ah. completely despondent. My my depression, I think sometimes people miss that they're depressed because they think you're going to be sad and you're going to be crying and you're not going to be functioning. But I was high functioning. And I was just, I mean, in certain ways, obviously my flossing uh, of my teeth was a little bit off. But <laughs> I, um, I was going to work every day. I was clocking in, clocking out. I was able to present to all of my friends and family as though I was fine, but I was completely checked out and I didn't care about anything and I didn't care about my safety and I didn't care about my health and I just wanted it to be over. But it was it was a numbness where I had no compassion for anyone and I had no compassion for myself. And so that's what my depression looked like. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm -hmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. For This question is really for both of you because you're both actors. How is anybody in your life then, maybe the answer is they just can't, but like how is anyone in your life then supposed to know if you're doing okay, if you can, if you can mask it so well? Uh, they don't. For me. Yeah. Like they, they just don't. sort of don't. They don't. They don't. They don't. You have to, and, and the people, for me, in darker times, the people who wanted to be sort of check in and, and to like, I'm sensing something's wrong. I got rid of them. I, I, I was like, oh. no, 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 I don't have time yeah. for that. I'm not going to be, yeah. I'm not going to engage with that person. Everyone, everyone okay. in my life knows that I'm not okay when I stop responding. You know, when oh. I start, uh, oh. when I answer every question about how I am with, how are you? I just mm. flip it back to them because I don't mm. want to talk about it. So that's normally how, um, that's normally how people can tell is because I, I, I just sort of shut down. I have a very like um, quiet, stoic, nervous breakdown style. I'm not like Nicolas Cage, so, you know, in a movie style, you know, which is what I think would be better for my health, to be perfectly honest. But I keep it all inside because God forbid I should burden anyone. Your darkest moment, you said you decided to embark on this experiment to save your life. There's so many ways you could have done that. You could have be, you know, gone, sold all your belongings and gone to a mountaintop. You could become... I hate There's nature. a lot of ways... <laughs> what, where did be, speaking your truth... How did that occur to you? Because that is a very simple yet incredibly complicated answer to arrive at alone. I think it was the knowledge that sometimes depression is repressed rage. It really spoke to me. So I was like, oh God, what am I storing up in here? I've been such a people pleaser my whole life since I was like three. You know, I, I, I helped care for a lot of very mentally ill adults, you know, and so there was no space for my trauma. I had to just look after them from as soon as I could understand and so I think it was just like, oh God, who am I? Who actually am I? Like, I think I'm actually not mm. this person, this stoic person who's okay with everything, who's just, you know, able to laugh everything off. I think I'm actually, I'm fucking furious. I think I'm furious about mm. a lot. I think I'm angry and I think I'm bitter and I think I am vengeful and I think I need to let it out. And I did. And I was like, I was just sort of like, I'm not going to be afraid anymore about 
rejection. I'm not going to be afraid. Like, about, like, I have nothing to lose. When you're at a point where you're ready to kill yourself, like you yeah. have nothing to lose. So I was just like, fuck it. I'm already ready to give up everything. So whoever's going to like me is going to like me. Whoever's going to stay with me is going to stay with me. But I'm going to find out, at least I need to find out who the fuck I am because I had no idea. I didn't even know who I was hiding from the world. I was so disingenuous that I was I was hiding me from myself. So I was just like, at all costs, at all risk, I'm going to find out who I am. Who will you still lie to? Print journalists. Because <laughs> mm. uh-huh. they, they have, uh, they just weaponize my words against me. So I've just become incredibly careful around print journalists. And now I'm only really myself uh, when I can speak in my own words um, on a medium like this. Yeah. But that's it. So, Those so are the people wait, I still lie you- to. Copy. When you decided to, to to quit eating, like swallowing the the rage, yeah. What was there? Do you remember the, like one of the first or uh, times when you you realized it was changing you to speak your rage, to speak that you your your vengeance, your hurt, your trauma. I mean, it wasn't like a Michael Douglas falling down moment, you know, which is what mm. I had fantasized about. You know, I fantasized yeah. about exploding with everyone, but that's just not realistic, especially when you're a fucking. South Asian woman in England is like the levels of repression are so hard to unlearn. So I did it in microdosing. I micronode. You know, I would just do little things like, mm. oh, at Starbucks, my coffee didn't come quite right. C- could I please have the one that I ordered? Or, I, you know, maybe send food back, God forbid. Uh, or I would say a little no at work. Like, oh, I don't, I don't think I'm going to ask that question because I was a TV host back at the time. Or I don't want to play mm. that game. Or I don't think that's very funny. And it would just like, it just it was a slow burn. And I, I highly recommend if you don't want to blow your entire shit up, that you do like just at a pace that feels comfortable to you, just practice the the micro no. You know, just little no's that grow and grow and grow and starting to distance myself from certain people, starting to like, I went through the great culling, you know, where I just went through my yes. Facebook and I was like, who do I actually mm. not give a shit about? And who doesn't give a shit about me? And I got rid of them and I got them out of my life. I um, And I cut off a lot of family members, you know, for a long time. And... I I just did the unthinkable. I did all the things you're not supposed to do. I, and then finally, the final no was leaving my entire career behind and moving to the other side of the world with no visa, no friends, no money, and no plan. And that was like the biggest, like, fuck you for me to everyone who told me that I couldn't do that. Can I pressure test this exercise? Like, I think, so I think sometimes the 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 big no's are a little bit easier than the small ones. I feel like the small ones sometimes are the ones that make me feel like someone's going to think I'm an asshole. The The example that I would give is like, before we started recording, I didn't want to do something that I just thought was annoying. Somebody asked me to do it I and I just didn't want to do it. And I said like, I'll do it one more time, but I don't want to do it anymore after this. I'm actually curious, like, Julie, you were sitting right there and part of my, my brain and my heart was like, oh, I hope Julie doesn't think I'm like, such an asshole because I'm like saying, no, I don't want to do this thing. But the other half is like, I've also seen Julie tell people like, nope, I'm not doing it. Like I've seen Julie be extremely authoritative and decisive. Mm -hmm. So like, Julie, did you think I was being an asshole? (laughs) Yes. See, I I knew knew it. And yet, but here's the thing. In the Jamila school here. Doesn't matter. Who gives a fuck? Who get, that's the hardest, that's the part where you got to thread the needle all the way. There's got to be times, Julia, when you started saying your micro nose and then your macro nose, mm-hmm. when you came up against people saying, this isn't you. 
Yeah. This, what's yeah, become really, of you? It's, it's really and hard. And you're saying... I think as long as your no's are respectful, I've always maintained a level of politeness as much as I can. So I'm just like, I'm really sorry, mm-hmm. but I just don't want to do that. And and that that just has to be, that just has to be that. There are some times where you have to give in, you know, and you have to, you know, uh, there are some moments where you have to kind of choose your battles. But generally, I'm just very polite. And, you know, I think watching Ted Danson for four years do that, like he's so expert at his agency. And part of that comes from being like an old white man, you know, so that's an extra level of like confidence and brazenness that comes with that. But, you know, he's just so kind when he says no that you don't even realize, you know, people don't realize they're being rejected. You know, they, they ask actors, especially in comedies, to do all kinds, all kinds of like, re- mm. like really sometimes like badly thought out nonsense for promo. Um, and things that aren't actually mm-hmm. and people who aren't actually comedians are, are coming up with ideas for comedians to do and they're not mm. always like very good or they're a bit a bit cringe and so uh, they would they would just be like Ted and now can you do this uh, and he'd be like oh, sorry I'm, I'm not going to do that and then uh, he'd be like but thank you <laughs> and he'd just walk off uh, and it felt it, it felt easy and charming like he delivered it like butter and I was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick up on that and find like a nice, kind way to be like, I'm so sorry, but that is uh, that's actually just not something that's gonna happen. I'm afraid. Let's find something else. Do you and feel better or worse after that? I feel that great. Like, what do you I feel, feel fucking yeah, amazing. It's fucking addictive. <laughs> it's addictive. And even if if Julie did think you were an asshole, like I'm proud of you for saying no when something was making you feel uncomfortable in your gut. Because like on, like at, at the end yeah. of the day, I I can tell already from like the interactions I've had with Julie that Julie ultimately would prefer for you to be happy than not happy and wants you to like advocate for yourself. So it's like <laughs> these these moments are always going to be slightly grating, but it's it's yeah, think, addictive and it's empowering and it means that then you get this is how we get to fucking know each other. Uh, yes, I agree with True. you that I do think Julie wants me to be happy. I I pretty much know that almost. I uh, feel really certain about that. But sometimes there's conflict. And like, if that's in conflict with somebody else's, you know, no, I don't want to do that, then that it's, I don't think it's as simple as just like. But that's where compromise comes in. Like, that's where compromise comes in of like, I don't want to do that. Let's find something else. Like, there's always another, there's almost always another option. And so it's about finding the middle ground. Like, I feel like our generation is continuing to lose the art of compromise. Look at our political landscape. Like, oh my God. It's like, right. Or left, and if you're not left enough, then you're right wing. And if you're not right wing enough, you're fucking left wing. Like it's like no one can have a fucking conversation anymore. It's uh-huh. devastating. And so like we have to learn the art of compromise. There was a time where we were getting there, and since the you know the era of social media and the era of social justice, like entering kind of like everyday living room chat, we have grown to feel affronted by a difference of opinion on a personal level, and our feelings overtake like fact. Uh-huh. And so it's important yeah. just to like, just to know that these things aren't always going to be easy. But what happens is at the end of the day, like, like growing, the, the, there are growing pains in, in building your boundaries. But once they are built, you have better, stronger and more honest relationships with the right people. And you learn who can respect those boundaries and who can't. And if they can't, they have to go. And that's okay. Yeah. And that doesn't have to be acrimonious. It's just we want different things. We need to go in different directions. And I have done that a multitude of times and found myself now in better working relationships, better friendships, and a better romantic relationship for it. And it wasn't fucking easy, but it was so fucking worth it. Yeah. Do you compromise with yourself? What do you mean? You're saying it, we need to value compromising with each other. I agree. Mm-hmm. 
I think we're losing that ability. I think it sucks. Do you do that with yourself though? Like, do you feel this and and instead say that? Not with myself, but I will have a word with myself where there's sometimes it's like something I don't want to do or someone I don't want to interact with, but I know it's for the sort of greater good. And I just suck it up and I just go like, this is going to be pretty fucking annoying. But but there's a greater purpose that will in, inherently like benefit me later. So I'll just I'll just suck it up and do it. But no, I have a very honest relationship with myself now. When you left England, you like packed it up and took off. It was because if I if my research is right, you've been told that you only worked because you were pretty. No, it was a yeah, it was a multitude of things. It was like I wasn't being given opportunities that I like wanted to just try out at in things like comedy. Mm-hmm. And they would tell me mm-hmm. that no one wants to hear me. They just want to look at me. Um right. and I was also 28, which is like pushing the edge of your career back then in England. Right. Uh, right. where you have to start competing on reality TV yeah. shows to stay right. relevant. Right. Um and that's fine, but I can't dance. So, you know, or skate. So that was not going <laughs> to well, go very well for me. Well, you saved yourself a lot of pain. <laughs> yeah. Um but you took off and you did radio. I well you, yeah, I, you went, hid I, your I left I left face. I left TV to do radio to prove to people that I could have a career when people can't see me. And that went really well for a while. But then still, I was then now, you know, after a few years of doing that, pushing 30 and being told that the doors Uh are just closing because now they're looking for the next crop of 22-year-olds. And so I wanted to move some, I just wanted to get the fuck out then. Like I refused, I I hadn't come all this way with my mental health and with my ability to like advocate for myself just to be told where the ceiling is. It's like, I'm going to fucking decide where the ceiling is. And I heard that America was a land of opportunity. Um, and so, <laughs> I, <laughs> so I got on a plane. I believed what the movies told me. And they weren't wrong. Oh, boy. Because fucking hell, like, I came here and my life exploded. And I, and I was never told that would happen. Everyone was like, you're too curvy for Los Angeles. You're too old to start your career now. They don't really oh. like Asians, you know, in this industry. So I was discouraged in every way a person could be discouraged. But I don't know, like I was in my fuck it bucket era. So I went anyway. And thank God I did. Because look at how my life changed. I look at you right now. Mm-hmm. And if someone's listening, I'll, I'll tell you that and everybody knows Jamil is very beautiful. Mm. Um, and obviously this was something, but hang on, that you, this is something you pushed against. And this is something that you have then, it, at some point I'm imagining, embraced in a healthy way. And I want to ask you about that arc from the time when you were like, fine, fuck you. You think I, you, people don't want to hear me. They just want to look at me. Uh, go fuck yourself. I'll go do radio. I'll go with the other side of the earth. Mm-hmm. Then. I mean, your role most famously on The Good Place, you play this incredibly, stunningly beautiful dead woman. <laughs> and for, for comedic alert. effect, but as I look at you right now, you're not unkempt. You haven't purposely made yourself look unattractive. You, uh, you are comfortable, it appears to me, mm-hmm. being a person in her own skin. Her skin happens to be mm-hmm. quite lovely. I also have How to admit that you, it was uh, celebrating my birthday last night and I haven't showered yet. So this is last night's makeup. But thank you very much. Happy <laughs> birthday. <laughs> thank you. We can't yeah. smell but I you at I all. Don't, I don't move when I sleep. I basically sleep like a, a vampire. So uh, I'm able to not smush the elder makeup. But um, Are no, you with the good serious? Place, yeah, deadly serious. It's You're Nata- a Pisces. It's Natasha Denone eye makeup. Like does not fucking move. Um, anyway, uh, shout out to like Natasha. It looks like you just got it. <laughs> I know. It's fucking crazy. Crazy, isn't it? Um, but it's also why I'm going to like go blind at some point. 
because I am getting God knows what kind of bacteria in my eye. What I will say is that The Good Place was not something I planned on. Uh, I didn't come here to be an actress. I came here to be a writer. And, and I said to my agents and my managers, I don't want to be on television ever again. I don't want to be objectified ever again. It's bad for my brain and it makes me want to starve myself. So it's really important that mm, I don't go on TV sure. again. Um, and they were like, oh, but there's this, this one audition. And I was like, I can't act. I don't want to be an actor. I have no talent. I really just want to be a writer and I have this great idea for a show and I just want to make this show. So they pushed me and pushed me and pushed me and pushed me into just going to this audition and I thought, fuck it. They'll find out from the person who auditions me that I can't act and then I'll have at least tried. So it was one of those times, one of those compromises where I was like, all right, I'll go and fucking do this. It's not going to happen anyway. I'll be fine. I fucking got it, <laughs> which is very shocking that I, um, but I think it was because I had a complete absence of nerves and an absence of hunger and desperation. So I was in that room. I was able to be completely my authentic self, which I can never do when I really, really want something. And so I exhibited like extreme indifference that they mistook as competence because I was mm. so myself and so free and so mm -hmm. loose and so able to be funny because I wasn't hungry or thirsty, you know, for it. Mm -hmm. And um, Mike Sher just saw something in me and gave me a career as an actor, even though I'd never acted, you know, a day in my life But there you were playing a beautiful woman. And, and I really struggled. A beautiful woman. I really struggled with that. But I think his ability to, she was much less of a clown in the original script mm. and his ability to let me like add like complete clownery and then working with the writers to like make her more and more of a buffoon so that that became less and less of a central theme of her was what then made me find comfort within it. But it made me like very, like, very self-conscious. It made me feel bad about myself uh, playing uh, this. How long did that last? The whole time. You know, like really? I didn't, yeah, like I, I, I have severe body dysmorphia that will never go away. And even though I don't have an mm -hmm. eating disorder anymore, I still can't, you know, see myself properly in the mirror. And so it was, uh, it made me very hard on myself, you know, and I, I couldn't stand looking in the mirror. I just didn't, I, I just had to kind of almost like blank out the, the, the lines that would be about how me being a sexy giraffe or anything like that. And, and I think because they knew I was uncomfortable, they started to like, get rid of that over each season and it became more about how ridiculous and funny the character was rather than the way that I looked but it made me super uncomfortable like it just I just thought I thought I was going to get bullied online because I was like in my head I was like I'm playing this woman who everyone keeps saying is beautiful but then everyone's going to see me and they're going to make fun of me and think I'm really hideous and so like it just felt like a send-up because I'm clearly you know still struggling with um severe dysmorphia but I don't think it's ever going to go I also suffer from dysmorphia. Can you describe what that's like for people who I've tried to describe it? I, I would love to hear your description of what it's like because it's very real. It is a very weird thing and you can know you have it yeah. and it can be happening and you can cognitively intervene and say, this is dysmorphia and it still happens. I don't really understand it, to be honest, because I can see a photograph of myself and see myself clearly. But if I look at myself in the ah. mirror, I see a completely different person. Like I can like, not like mm. a sort of like, a, a balding white man with a moustache or something like that. It doesn't go that far, but it's like... But <laughs> that I, would be fantastic. I think I just look like swollen or unwell or just like like shit or I... Uh, 
I'm just, I, I see a very different body to the body that I have. And I, and I feel like I'm being gaslit by my trousers because they fit, but like they don't look like they fit in the mirror. And it's just, it's meant that I don't use a full length mirror almost ever. So I, I use a handheld mirror, you know, the mini NARS compact, and I do my makeup in a mini yes. NARS compact Yes. Um, to be able to just do my mirror, like to do my makeup like eye by eye. I do all my own makeup for everything because I don't want to sit there looking in a mirror for an hour and a half. Uh, so all my front covers, mm. all my TV shows, Marvel, everything, Legendary, I do my own makeup for everything so that mm. I can do it out wow. of a little compact really quickly and have to spend as little time with my reflection as possible because my brain is my enemy. Um, you know, and that's I, a shame. I get and it. It's, it's I get so it. boring and tedious, and it makes me so mad that I am afflicted with this because it makes me significantly less interesting than I could be if I wasn't thinking about uh, the way that I fucking look. Uh-huh. And so that's why I don't negotiate with mirrors very often because I don't want to become more boring than I already am. <laughs> do you see? I mean, do you see that now? Like even just here on this Zoom screen? Yeah, I'm just not looking at myself on the Zoom screen. I'm looking at and you and you both look uh, great. Me neither. I don't even have Julie, me, me up. The... I don't want to see me. You hide the self-view. That's what I do. Do you uh, look at yourself online or read the comments online? Um, I do because mostly what I talk about is social justice. Like my Instagram isn't a bunch of pictures of myself. It's like mostly it. like me talking about social justice and I want to engage in the conversation. So I do. But um, I don't really, uh, it doesn't really impact me negatively unless people are lying. I just can't stand uh, like smear campaigns that are made up of nonsense. Like I'm, I'm really like, I'm overwhelmingly okay when I get told off because I did something wrong. Because I can see the pattern, I can understand what I did wrong. And then I think, well, that's fair that people are piling onto me. But when it's on so- based on something that I didn't do, that's just been made up by some right-wing, you know, um, opportunist mm-hmm. then I uh, mm-hmm. then that that really like rattles me because it's not fair I can't stand what is not fair like my even well, everything I do in my plight for social justice is not based on like what a, like um, an extraordinarily compassionate person I am it's because it's not fair injustice inequality is not fair it's, it just it's broken and I want to fix it and so um, when it comes to online I, I have a relatively like a civilized experience, even if people aren't civilized towards me, because I don't really care. I'm not interested in being liked or like seen as obedient, or um, I don't. I don't really care about being approved of. But I, 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 and I'm learning to not even care about being believed because I'm understanding that's just mm. part of being a woman in the public eye is that people they can't take us out and kill us anymore, so they just kill our credibility by lying about us, and that is just something that you have to disengage with. But it rattles me. Are you able to weaponize your uh, your physical being? Yeah, knowing whether or not you believe that you would. Yeah, yeah, are yeah. I know that other people that, that enjoy the way that I look. Other yeah, people, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can horse. weaponize it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's yes. the only reason okay, I fucking great. wear makeup. It's the only reason I go to the right. events and I wear the fucking right. tits out dress is because I'm aware that right. I can use that to get into the papers to then be able to talk about my actual message. Uh, yes. and then I can spread my message to more people. I'm well aware of what I'm doing. Uh, and I'm aware that like, even if I don't like the way that I look, some other people do. And I can try and to use that. The pre- to, it gets yeah, the it's, cameras on you. It's, it's how I have been able to like, you know, when I was 26 and I was fat and I was talking about the fat liberation and the ways in which we discriminate against women's bodies, no one listened to me and everyone told me I was jealous and bitter and they just fat shamed me um, and said I was lazy. And I said the exact same shit from a thin body and these fucking bastards suddenly listened to me as if 
Not only had I never said this shit, but the fucking thousands of de- and decades of other women hadn't said this before as well. We listen to privileged people. When privileged people talk about poverty, we listen. When poor people talk about poverty, we shame them and say, you're just not working hard enough. Like It is a disgusting system, but it is a system and one that you have to play the game of to a certain extent to be able to gain traction within. So while I totally see there can be like hypocrisy and watching like Russell Brand talk about the fact that there's a poverty, mm. like a, like a, a a uh, wealth gap, you know, when he's sitting from mm-hmm. his fucking like big house talking about the wealth gap, mm-hmm. uh, or there's me talking like from a slim body talking about fat liberation. Mm-hmm. I totally understand and I welcome that critique of hip- of hypocrisy, but it's not because it, it's not because Russell hasn't been poor and lived in inequality, and it's not because I haven't lived in a situation where doctors don't give me the right diagnosis because they can't see beyond my size. We'd, it's just unfortunate that our society and our media listens to the most privileged people about where lack of privilege lies. Does that make sense? Yes, but would you ever quit being uh, outwardly playing into society's yeah, I do version that all the time. of you I do that all as the time. beautiful? I, I've been every size that you can kind of be. Well, most sizes that you can kind of be. And, and when I got fat and I got fat shamed, I stayed fat as long as humanly possible at 26, just despite the media, because I was being offered all these weight loss deals, uh, like, and offered so much money to like promote these weight loss companies where they would give me a secret personal trainer and like take photographs of me as super, like in super unflattering pose, like in a bikini that's three sizes too small. Because in their opinion, fat women don't know what how to buy clothes um, and then the photograph of me would be really well lit and slim wearing really good fitting clothes yeah. like with abs after I've taken this like weight loss diarrhea shake um, and so I was being offered those and I, I refused to conform so I have no problem in going without makeup online I have no problem without going without makeup on television I don't give it I don't give a shit now but when I know I need to weaponize the way that I look and utilize my privilege I do in order to, and without doubt, I've n- I've not, d- I can't think of an interview I've done where I haven't used it to talk about justice. It's, but sometimes it's just a spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. As I track it, there was like a pretty significant before and after of you being outspoken, like you just saying what you think. Mm-hmm. And it, was, it feels like it, that turned a corner when you almost killed yourself, mm-hmm. which is a really intense place to go, you mm-hmm. know? I'm wondering like, do you think someone can get to the same level of honesty coming from the same place, not from mm. Ted Danson, not like being, you know, privileged, tall, white man, but like mm-hmm. just someone who feels squished into society? Like, can you still get to where you're at with that level of honesty without having to go to so scary of a place that you almost like yeah I've done it so that you don't have to just like that was the wake up call that I needed because I've been raised in a very specific way that was incredibly detrimental to my sense of agency but you, you don't have to almost kill yourself you don't have to have a nervous breakdown to get to that point I'm here to say that's what I learned down in the well but you don't have to now go down the well to find out what I learned. I'm bringing it back up to the surface, being like, hey, in order to avoid going down the well like I did, why don't you try micro moments of agency and authority and and like self-preservation? Why Let's stop like stigmatizing selfishness, especially in women, especially in minorities. Let's start welcoming a little bit of self-preservation and selfishness because you can give more to the world, more to the people around you when you are sustained. When you allow yourself to be bled empty, you have nothing left to give other people. 
And so it's, it's actually better for everyone around you for you to make sure that you are preserving yourself, I think. When do you feel like it's safe for someone to dial that up from the microdose honesty to like the, the scary honesty? Like telling someone who they feel like has a really important voice or role in their life the truth about something that they know is volatile. I think that's a dangerous question because I every situation is nuanced. I don't know someone's safety. I don't know, you know, like if you're a person who's in a domestic violent situation then or, or having to confront like a malignant, dangerous narcissist, I wouldn't say you should confront them dead on. Then you go elsewhere and you go get help. It is not always appropriate to confront dead on. But what you have to confront is what you need and start making moves to get yourself out of that situation. You don't, it doesn't always have to be a head-on fight. Sometimes mm. I just cut people off. And when I didn't care about the future of my relationship with that person, I didn't bother having a confrontation. I just cut them out of my fucking life because why am I going to expend that energy work, like giving them notes on something that I don't really care whether they change or not? Like, I'm done. I'm out. And so it's about just knowing that you every, every confrontation doesn't have to be with another person. Sometimes it can just be with yourself. You know, I remember going to my therapist and the first thing she ever said to me was, you know, I was telling her, this person's doing this to me and that person's doing that and I'm being, you know, abused and I'm being used. And she was just like, well, a doormat's already lying down before people wipe their feet all over it. <laughs> and that sentence <laughs> went on to fucking change my life because I was like, shit. God. She's fucking right. Like, And so the biggest confrontation I had to have with, was with myself. Like, what are my values? What am I willing to take? Like, how much shit can I eat? Like, what am I doing with my life? If I die tomorrow, if I die tomorrow... Am I going to look back and think, oh, I smashed that. I nailed life. No. I'm going to be this miserable, bitter, like vengeful asshole inside. And now I don't feel any of those things because I've gotten everything off my chest. I'm still an asshole, but, but like, when, that's different. That's just genetic. But when were you, <laughs> did you, were you ever concerned about financial insecurity when you were walking away from the, you, walk, you, you were walking away from the hand that fed you? You weren't necessarily biting it, but you were, we're walking no, away. I've, I've chewed you the weren't... hand that feeds me off, like fully. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> no, all right. It's a stump. So, and and you weren't afraid of financial insecurity. Um, I was afraid of financial insecurity, but I don't need a lot, you know. And I'm skilled. There are plenty of things that I would love to do that don't involve being a famous person. I'd fucking love cleaning. Mm -hmm. I would fucking love to clean like people's houses. I, I would love to work in a deli and make snacks all day. Like there's a there's a billion things that I would be so happy to. I'd love to be a therapist. Uh, I would love to, you know, like there, there's a million things that I'd love to do to be able to be in service in some way. And it doesn't have to involve walking down a red carpet. So I think the reason that I'm such a threat in this industry to a lot of people is because people are dangerous when they have nothing to lose. And I've got fucking nothing to lose because mm -hmm. I don't give a shit. And I'm excited to be here. and I'm grateful to be here. And I'm having a lovely time. But if it all goes away tomorrow, I'm willing to... I'm I'm willing to go down in flames for what I believe. Uh, you're a threat to them. How? Like a threat to their ego? I'm a threat or? to the status quo. I'm a threat to the way that, you know, I inspire certain women to stand up for themselves more. You know, I also put some women off and that's fine. Uh, but I'm a huge threat to the diet industry. I've cost the diet industry so much fucking money because I um, <laughs> have made it not cool. Bravo. I've made it not cool yeah. to like normalize talking about what is just eating disorder culture. Like all these celebrities mm -hmm. have stopped fucking talking about what mad shit they're doing to lose weight like it, I, I 
I went against laxative shakes and was so annoying that people stopped selling those like detox drinks publicly, like massive celebrities, because they were worried they'd have to deal with me. Like that's how annoying I am. I challenge financial institutions and billion dollar predatory industries. And I'm going after the exercise industry next because of the way that they've shut so many people out. And and I um, I threaten the way that women are supposed to behave. Women are not supposed to be political. Women are not supposed to be opinionated. Women are not supposed to make mistakes and stick around. And I do. And I'm not like sitting here like all proud of myself. I'm just, I'm just going to keep trying to figure this out until I crack it, right? I look at my life as a giant, like I'm a crash test dummy, you know? And mm-hmm. I, I just want to see what's going to happen. Like, what if I occupy the same mentality as a, you know, uh, I'm not trying to like race bait in any way, but like a mediocre white man <laughs> who just goes like, yeah, yeah, I made that mistake and now I'm going to brush it off and I'm going to keep going. Maybe that's, minorities that's and maybe women should just keep fucking going. Like maybe we just keep going. We haven't seen many examples of women who get shamed and blamed and maimed who come back. They, they disappear for decades or they never come back. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. when I got, you know, like, like smeared publicly in like 2020, which was like a fucking dog pile after dog pile after dog pile, I almost, like, again, I became suicidal again because it was just so overwhelming, like how disgusting people were behaving towards me. And I just thought there was a moment where I was like, in like sort of April 2020, where I was like, maybe I should just quit because this is not worth the fucking stress. Maybe I should just bow out. And that's the thought that everyone has. And then I thought, nah, what if I just stick around? What happens? Like, what's the worst mm. that can happen? Maybe I've lost everything. What if I just stick around? What if I just keep going and keep posting and carry on as if this never happened? And I booked Marvel and I got the biggest job of my career. I made the most money in my career that I've ever made and, and life carried on. And I was like, this is fucking amazing. Women need to know that there's life after death. That if I, you get, I, go through this shit publicly, you can, you can come back from it. I must ask for the listener, why did you get smeared? I, and um, I actually don't know. Oh, no, I got smeared because, uh, listen, I threaten a lot of powerful people and those people pay people to uh, make up lies about me and it's the oldest trick in the book and we've seen it with, you know, I was watching the J-Lo documentary and I was like, fucking hell, she had to eat a lot of shit. I didn't realize how much, mm. how many lies were told about J-Lo and her private life. And so people just made up, uh, people made decisions about my sexuality, people made decisions about my health because I'm not very well. I've got Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, but I look very well and it's a very severe debilitating condition, but the people who have it look fine on the outside. So people don't always believe us. Um, people made decisions about who I was and my character and my mental health and all these different things, just all these kind of swirling rumors, kind of too many to even like know where to start. And it just was a dog pile, you know, where then people just start like adding more and more bullshit in. Um, There was this one woman who claimed that I was a pathological liar. And one of her examples was she used these two different clips of me talking on chat shows about being hit by a car being chased by bees. Now, I've been hit by a car multiple times running away from bees because I'm afraid of bees and I have a hyper reaction to bees because I watched my girl when I was clearly too young. Um, And so uh, she takes one clip of me on Fallon and one clip of me on Kimmel telling two completely different stories and says, this is my two different accounts of the same story. And people just believed that. No one looks yeah. into it. We don't right. look beyond headlines. We don't look behind someone's social media clip. We don't do our own investigating. And so via shit like that, people just started to come up with the idea that I was a pathological liar. And there's no way that this wasn't like a coordinated attack because I no. I threaten so many different status, like status quos. 
And right. now it's documented you only lie to print journalists. Yes, so that must have been I do truth. lie. I do lie to print journalists now. Um, <laughs> I'm much more polite than I would normally be to print journalists because they like just take all of my words out of context so horrendously and they lie and they sometimes will take different words out of an entire paragraph of what I say and use it to compile a brand new sentence, which is just fiction. Yeah. So yes. I'm yeah. just done. I'm a little bit done with print. But yeah, it was a... Uh, it was just a really weird, like you know, they did it to like Anne Hathaway, you know, when the when oh god, the yes. world decided, and suddenly mm. everyone started to find everything about her offensive. They did it to Jennifer Lawrence. We loved her. She's so relatable. She's just like us too. Ugh, why is she pretending to be so relatable all the time? She definitely faked falling over. Fuck yeah. Jennifer Lawrence. We did it to Angelina Jolie. We decided that Brad Pitt had no agency in that affair, and that Angelina Jolie is the devil, blood drinking home wrecker. Like Meghan Markle. Meghan fucking Markle. We can't Jesus stop. Christ. We can't stop. Um, Princess Diana, Jane Fonda, Gloria Steinem. Like, there's not a woman who has reached prominence who, unless she's been completely silent and not at all herself and hidden herself away, like the Kate Blanchett's and the Meryl Streep's of this world who managed to, you know, Zendaya, like all these people who know that, like, to survive, you have to, like, take a step back. Live behind a wall. But everyone else, I mean, remember, they said that Beyonce faked her fucking pregnancy bump. Like the amount of shit that we put out there about women, like it's just so, hor- it's so horrendous, and women participate in it even more than men. We have learned it from much men, much more than men, and we fucking much participate in it. And we, I couldn't agree more. And and we have learned how to attack each other because we've been told there isn't space for more than one of us. We have been told to see each other as a threat because. And we have been taught that because there is strength in numbers. And we saw that in the Me Too movement. We've seen that with different movements. When people come together and stand by one another, there is actual tangible change. And so to mm-hmm. stop that, we are divided and therefore we are conquered. That's how we've lost Let our fucking abortion rights again. You know what I mean? It's like we're not Ugh. sticking together. The left isn't sticking together. The left, like, like no. you've got tr- like Black no. Lives Matter, Trans Lives Matter, Reproductive Rights Matter, all these different things. Like We all sit there like fighting each other. And the Me Too movement, like everything. Everyone's just like nitpicking each other to fucking death while the opposition is just running away with our freedom and our rights. We've got to learn how to, you know, And the opposition recognize. is basically about keeping keeping the patriarchy, keeping the, keeping the and structure, keep, yeah, the power and structure us divided. the way it is. Yeah, and keeping us divided. Right. They laugh at us when we are infighting. They watch us infight yeah. and they laugh. And so it's, I'm trying to find ways to bring people together now. I used to be much more divisive okay. in the way that I spoke, and now I'm trying to be more gluing. So I feel like um, most people can't see themselves clearly. What specifically defines body dysmorphia? Like, what is it that, as I imagine, it has something to do with, like, you... I, I actually really just don't know, so let me not even pretend to know. Like, what, what is it? Well, for me, it's about not being able to trust mirrors. And I related to Jamila. I didn't have a full-length mirror. I moved into this house that had full-length mirrors. And that was the first time I'd had a full-length mirror in years. Because I can't, I can't trust them. They are not trustworthy. They are unreliable narrators of how I look. And I know this because I can walk past a mirror, a full-length mirror, and five minutes or 10 minutes later, walk past the same one and see two entirely different Mm. things. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and so I cognitively intervene and say, this is dysmorphia. It isn't reality. The the only thing to do is walk away from the mirror, but to recognize that there's, there's something that goes wrong between my eyeballs, the processing, 
that I know there's no way that I, five minutes, I look like two different people, but that's what I see. And it's unreliable. And I walk away. Shamila, how do you feel? Yeah, I feel quite similarly. And I just think that also, if we lived in a world that didn't put so much subliminal and aggressive direct stress on women as to their appearance, this wouldn't be as big of a deal. This just mm-hmm. would, it just wouldn't be as big of a deal. Like it is, I am a mm-hmm. sad product of being sodden with uh, an obsession Mm -hmm. with the way that women are supposed to look because it is is considered the first and utmost most important thing about us. And that just couldn't be less true. But it is still the world that we are in. I mean, we've got celebrities now taking fucking diabetes medication to attain, like, again, that absurd level of thinness. You know, these fucking shots. They're having... Celebrities are having parties where they share these shots around. These shots that are needed for people with diabetes. Is that true or is that just It is true. Is that is that urban myth? Nope, it's true. It is true. Yeah, it's true. Oh, I, is that, is I guess that, I don't do hang out that scene. People know about that. Is that are you guys? People know. You know, it's a, out there. I've been talking about this shit for like six months. Um, but the point is, is that like, like, how are people risking thyroid cancer and risking like pancreatic cancer and risking like a forever damage to their like nutrition, to their digestive system, to their ability to shit properly, like forever, these things can sometimes impact you. They're going to fuck up everything to do with their bodies potentially just for the sake of being like obediently thin because that's what society has told them is more important than their health, their happiness and their nutrition. Like, God knows I've been there. I'm not judging them. I've, I've been there, man. I had an eating disorder for 20 years, but this is the sad state of affairs that we still continue to find ourselves in. And so... It's hard to find our way out, but I believe we are getting there. And the more we continue to allow people to rise to prominence who are there for things other than just the way they look, who are there for their talent or their merit or their contribution to society, uh, the the better things will get. You said you have nothing to lose. And mm-hmm. that's true. And it, it, a woman with nothing to lose, a person with nothing to lose is very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, because what's to stop you? I'm the mother of three. Hey. I will always now have something to lose. My relationship to I uh, to the world changed when I realized uh, you can never kill yourself mm-hmm. now because three people rely on you. You mm-hmm. can never. There's no way. There's no packing it up and just leaving because there's people relying on you. Are you committed? Is 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 social activism and, and social justice so, uh, more important to you? than anything to continuing to have nothing to lose, which is incredibly admirable. Or are you are you going to be flexible on that as you change and grow and maybe you have kids and say, ah, now I've got oh, I'm not going to have kids. So Ah, okay. I didn't want to ask yeah, that it is. that way. Oh, no, okay. no, no. Yeah, no, I have no interest in having children. None whatsoever. I would... Uh, because it would... It, because it would, it would... it would silence you in a way. Yeah, just like... Don't, You'd I, have I've to looked, watch I've yourself. looked after people my whole fucking life like I'm done. I'm done. I am out. Like, my kids are all grown up. They are my family members. And now, as as far as I'm concerned, I am retired from caring for other people. Uh, I have no desire. I have no interest. Um, I don't want to live with my heart outside of my body. I don't want anything that great to lose. I I like the the lower stakes of my selfish little life. And that's why, you know, that's why I had an abortion when I needed one, because I'm not fit to be a mother, you know? But your, the low stakes of your selfish little life, and I say all of that in quotes, are, are allowing you to have these frank conversations um, uh, fearlessly. Yeah. And for that, I salute you and I can't thank you enough. 
I can't. You just, you're, what a breath of fresh air. Honestly. <laughs> Chad is like. A very rude, Chad, filthy I've never seen air. Chad like this. I mean, we got to no. stay. I got more, I got more to, to ask. I know. You can stop. ask me. I got, you can I, look, I if stop. you need to ask me anything further, you can. Do you want cool. to ask me anything else? Well, you just said she was fearless. I, and then I was like, I wonder if that's true. Uh, what are you I'm afraid, afraid of now? I'm very afraid of bees. I'm still very afraid of bees. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's it. Nothing, Just bees. Nothing has changed. You know what my biggest fear is, is that we are going to continue in the direction in which we're going. Like, I'm worried about the yeah. world. That is my great fear, is that we're going to lose the art of conversation. We're going to lose the art of, like, disagreeing with each other civilly. And when that happens, like, we're going to end up in a civil war in this country. Like, the rise of fascism is a direct result of not just the far right, but also the far left, like in the extreme ways in which we speak to each other. And that's what scares me. Like a world that can't just fucking talk about shit is, uh, what, is what terrifies me. And so I fear, I fear that. But outside of things, like I've lived a good life. I've had great sex. I have had great meals. I have got great friends. I have had great laughs. I've had great experiences. I got to work with like Ted fucking dancing like for four years. Like I'm, okay. I'm ready whenever it is my time to go. I have no fear around that. And that's why I live as boldly as I do. Like I feel, and I don't think I would have felt that at 26, not only because I was only 26, but, and I'm only 37 now, but I at 26 was living a dishonest life. And it was stopping me from truly like embracing and, and being happy. And, and now I feel as though I've spent the last 11 years of my life with much more integrity. And I might have fucked up and I might have pissed a lot of people off and I might have made a lot of mess sometimes, but I've, cl I've cleaned it up as best I can. And I feel like, I feel like I know who I am and I like who I am now. So it's okay if you don't. And, and I just want to keep doing this for as long as it is exciting and interesting and effective. I just want it to still be effective. And I'm not sure that social justice can be effective if we don't change the way that we move. That's Amen. it. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Jamila. Thank you. Thank you, Jamila. You are, you're, I didn't, I I'm didn't a weirdo. Know, what, what, <laughs> no, you're just a real deal. You're just a real deal. And I needed to, to, to sort of, as, as Ted said, Chad says, pressure test that idea of nothing to lose. Because if you were like going to say, oh, and I can't wait to have babies and continue my work as a social Warrior. No. Uh, as a, a warrior for social justice, be like it. You, you, you can, but you then. No, have it's not the to same. Lose. It's not the same. You have people to protect, people to be mindful of. And by the way, that's why they're fucking taking our abortion rights away. The reason they're taking our reproductive rights away is because when you do have, when you are a mother, things are different, and you do have a different level of yes. energy, and you do have different priorities, yes. and then you can't fight to the death for your freedom. And so that's right. And so I'm gonna fight to the death for your freedom. Because I know you can't, but I, I can't believe that we aren't seeing more clearly that this is, this is not about life. This is not about religion. This is not about anything other than controlling us and um, making us and subduing women. It's about subduing the people okay. like, and, and people with uteruses. Like it's, it's about subduing uh, those of us so that we can't have the energy to fight. Um, and so, you know, I speak very carefully so that people don't feel like I'm expecting things of you and I'm expecting you to be a full-time warrior when you're already a mum. Like, I'm aware that you have limitations. Um, but well, I, no, just I, don't don't, limit I just don't want those limitations. And those, by the way, there are warriors who are also parents. Um, Absolutely. Jane Fonda being one of my favorite ones. But my point being that, mm -hmm. that I just can't bear people being forced into those limitations. I want those limitations to be a, a beloved choice. That's all. 
Yes. On behalf of the, the moms that are in the fight, the best fight that we can carry on is through our children mm-hmm. and introducing them to ideas of social justice and women, for me, uh, women's reproductive equality. Even though I have three boys, you can bet they know an awful lot about why women's reproductive rights matter. And I really appreciate you getting out there and getting even muddier than I ever could. So thank you. <laughs> no worries. I'm used to filth. I love it. Um, nice to meet you both. <laughs> 